Hello, hello, hello. Here we are once again. Uh, Rogue Table Talks number 68. And uh, it's Mike. And we are once again uh, flying solo. Chad's on vacation. Uh, and uh, unable to participate uh, in this uh, in this extravaganza uh, of rogue table talking, uh, so it's uh, a lone a lone rogue agent going rogue from rogue, uh, continuing our story about um, the people of God uh, going back to the promised land and uh, the themes that come from uh, from that uh, that we're. Uh, chewing on over the past number of weeks and uh you know where we are in the story uh, the people have gone back uh first people under ezra then people under nehemiah and there's been you know a restarting a re-inhabiting a rebuilding rebuilding of the temple and through that time they've been sort of struggling with what this looks like i mean this this turnaround for their lives, people who grew up in Babylon uh, as as foreigners to a land they'd never seen, uh, for, foreigners from a land they'd never seen, uh, in a land uh, that was not their home, but the only land they'd ever known. Uh, and so they're going back to their homeland, but it's their homeland sort of historically only, and by God's promise only, they'd never actually seen it. And they begin to struggle with uh, what it means to live as God's people in uh, this land uh, of promise. And uh, it's, it's, th- there's a series of discoveries that's going on. And I, I you know, I think that uh, it, it feels like almost there's a, there's a treasure map and they're following these clues or what does that show? You know, the, 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 the great race where, you know, the, 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 there's a clue and you go here and then the next clue takes you there and you keep going and that's sort of, they go to one part of the story and they wrestle with that and they have to go to the next part of the story. Uh, and um, as they are doing that, there's this theme that sort of repeats of weeping and rejoicing, uh, of, you know, sadness and joy, you know, kind of what was, what could have been, uh, and what can be. And so I want to, I want to, just off the bat here, do something we don't normally do. I'm going to kind of read this passage of scripture uh, and then talk about it from there. Uh, This is um, uh, Nehemiah 8. And uh, this is the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah are overlapping uh, at this point. Uh, And so the people are back, temples rebuilt, the walls rebuilt. They've started uh, to operate in the temple. Uh, And in in chapter eight, uh, we read all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. This is in Jerusalem. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. So men, women and children of a, of a certain age uh, of understanding. Everyone, basically. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and the women and others who could understand. And all of the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were 
uh, Padaya, Mishael, Malkajaya, Hajjum, Hashbanana, uh, Zechariah, and Meshalom, or some, or some other group of people with uh, strange names. Anyway, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And the Levites, and their names are listed again, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. So this is another sort of re-beginning where, you know, there's a return, there's a rebuilding, there's a rebuilding of the wall, uh, sort of a, a reformation of God's unique people. They begin to operate in the temple. But now it's, we need to be the people of God and follow God's word together. And so there's this, you know, the, the, the writer sets the stage so you can visualize all this crowd of people and Ezra up on a raised platform and he opens the book and everyone stands. And he, he reads from the book of the law and the, uh, the, the Levites are moving among the people, explaining, teaching, making clear the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. So I don't know exactly what the logistics were, but basically they were being instructed in the law as if for the first time or a restart of it for the first time. The idea being they hadn't been, they had been versed in the law. They hadn't been living, you know, according to the law. And, um, and they began to weep, uh, partly, uh, there was, they were grieving, uh, in verse nine, Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the, the teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord, your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So I want to just sit there for a second and, uh, sort of ruminate on what that implies. You know, they wept, you know, why were they weeping? Uh, and this harkens back to when the foundation of the temple was laid, the second temple. The first one had been destroyed when the people were taken into exile. The second temple, the foundation is laid and there was rejoicing. And among the younger, like the temple is going to be rebuilt. We're going to be people of God again. And the older people who were as children perhaps remembered the bigger original temple there was weeping, there was mourning and there was weeping. Uh, here, um, there's weeping as they hear the law. Uh, and, you know, what is that about? Uh, and I think there's a number of things that the people of God were wrestling with as the law was being read. And I think there's a sense in which they had not whether it was a conscious betrayal or whether it was neglect or whether it was ignorance, they hadn't lived as God's people. They hadn't lived out of their identity. They hadn't been the people of God. Uh, they hadn't been who they were supposed to be or called to be. Uh, they had fallen short. And, you know, again, whether because they were in exile, because uh, all the other reasons, uh, it may not 
only be a guilt thing. It may just be a grief thing, a grief over what has been missed, a grief over what could have been, a grief over what should have been, perhaps a grief over the reasons to be taken away in exile in the first place. Um, All the things that could have and should have been, all the things that were missed. So there's a sense of, of that, which for, you know, an entire generation or more uh, of the history of God's people, they were not living as God's people. And there's, there's, there's weeping there as they understand what the, what the scripture is telling them about who God is and who they are and the story they're really in and who they're supposed to be and their purpose and their mission and their calling as they hear that as if for the first time, if not for the first time, there's weeping. Uh, there's pro- there might be some sense of shame, some sense of they personally had fallen short. Uh, there might be some sense of, like Ezra, when he earlier found out about the sin of the people, he was appalled. And he sat appalled uh, until the evening sacrifice, it says. He just was, was shocked and overwhelmed. Uh, and there's a sense in which then that this weeping is appropriate, that it's that it's uh, th- that it's right, that it reflects some true reality about the situation that they really need to grieve over and grapple with. They were grieving their living outside of the covenant, uh, not living as God's people. And I think that's something for us to think about. Um, you know, do I ever do that? To what extent? when I read a passage of scripture, perhaps hear a sermon or whatever, some representation of the Christian life that I haven't lived out or a testimony or, um, or whatever it might be, a worship, you know, a, a song. There's a sense perhaps of weeping, of grief, uh, of groaning that, arguably should be a semi-regular part of our Christian experience. When we consider the way things are supposed to be and the, and the way things are and the huge gap between them, that ought to cause us some level of, of, of grief. Uh, some reality of struggling with that, of dealing with it, of personalizing it even that I am part of this gap, this gap between the way things are and the, uh, and the way things should be that I am, there's a way th- that I should be in a way that I am. And there's a gap there and, and to wrestle with that gra- gap. And I think there's a, there's a healthy sense of doing that. There's a, there's a non-productive shame. I'm worthless. Um, you know, what's the point of everything? sense of doing that. And there's a sense of, yeah, there is, there is real grief here over what could have been, what, what should be and, and what is, uh, and what is not. And, you know, as I, as I looked at this part of the story, you know, I think I had to wrestle with, I don't know that I do that enough that either I rationalize or I just conceptualize, you know, there's a biblical truth that's in the scripture 
and I'm understanding it and putting it into theological context, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing that, and that's good to do. But on the other side, do I ever grapple with the reality of that truth is not, you know, I am not living that out. And, and what, you know, I, I, I can theologically know that I, I'm not able to live it out fully until the next age, but there still can be a grief of, even if I'm not in a sense, it, um, the expectation is that I can't actually live it out as I should fully, that that will come later, that there's a groaning and an expectation of, of the next age. But there still can be grief in that because I, there's still something wrong with that situation. Uh, you know, beyond the issue of fault and more just the reality of things are not as they should be. And I, I think that's what's happening here. Um, it's not, it was, you know, it's not in the order of service. It's not a planned part of things. I don't think, you know, Ezra opens the book and people just respond. They stand, they listen to it. And they hear of, this is who you really are. This is who God really is. This is how we ought to live together. This is who you should be. This is why you're here. And then one of the responses is weeping. Because all of those things should be, but are not. And I'm just throwing that out there, that I think there's a sense in which there can be a healthy response of mourning or grief over the distance between the way things are supposed to be and the way things are. Uh, and I've said this before, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray for his kingdom to come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for that gap to close. We're looking forward to the praying in faith, believing that one day the gap will close because his kingdom will come and it will be the new heaven and the new earth. It will be on an earth as it is in heaven. Uh, and but But for now, it's not but for now it's not. And it's okay to feel that. Uh, and again, I think there's an unproductive way to feel that. There's a angry or a shameful way. To, there's a blaming other people way. There's a I'm worthless way. Uh, but there's also a, even though God is at work in, in, in redemption, that I'm part of redemption, that I am being redeemed, that I'm a new creature, genuinely different than I was before, but there's still this gap of what I'm called to be. And I can sort of let that kind of wrestle with that uh, more than I, than I do uh, at times grieving, living outside of the covenant. Um, and then Ezra and Nehemiah respond, they lead the people away from grief and into celebration. Then verses 10 from 12, 10, 10 to 12, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. And that's the other half. That's the other half of they, they, when you, they, we, for the first time you understand some part of scripture that points to that gap, that points to your part of that gap. There's a heaviness and a grief, but then there's an also a great joy because that, 
that is holy. That is something God is in. That is something God is doing and is moving you toward uh, who you ought to be. That's part of closing the gap. So we can have joy in that. All the reasons to weep are still there. And yet uh, we, we can rejoice because the joy comes from the Lord. The hope of redemption comes from the Lord. The work of redemption, the process of redemption. This is what we're celebrating. And it's not, it, there, isn't, there isn't a sense of, well, what are you weeping about? Um, th- th- you know, there is, it's not that there's no reason to weep, but it's that God brings joy within the grief. And I think that's another idea we struggle with, that we either we choose between joy or grief. Uh, and I think in our experience now in this age, we're, we ought to have some level of the groaning, some level of expectation, some level of present suffering, as, as uh, Paul points to in, in Romans 8. And yet within that and out of that, we can rejoice. And I think that's one of the reasons your rejoicing can be a command. We're commanded to rejoice in the Lord. Uh, and I think it's more than simply a feeling. Uh, that joy is more than simply pretending there's no reason to weep or, pretend, or tr- turning your face away from grief uh, or... Um, you know, have a, 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 don't, you know, everything's wonderful. Everything cannot be wonderful. And I can still rejoice because, um, the joy can come. This day is holy to our Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And it's the sense there is the joy that the Lord brings, not that the joy I'm trying to work up because of the Lord being there. Uh, the sense that, 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 the Lord is bringing me joy. And part of the joy is, hey, we now understand. We're now taking a step forward toward being the people God wants us to be. Part of that is recognizing we're not where we ought to be. And, but that's, that's, the, that's the grieving part. And then, but now we can begin to move in that direction is the, is the joyful part. So, you know, they grieved life outside of the covenant. They grieved, you know, what all of that it meant to be outside the identity of God's people, but they can rejoice because they can renew their commitment to that life and to that identity. Um, And so there's this sense of, this is a picture really of true repentance that it is. I'm, I see something clearly. I turn away and I go in another direction. I wrestle with the impact of my uh, being away from my identity, being away from God's community, being away from purpose and mission and who I am, a wrestle with that. And that leads me towards uh, the joy of returning, <clears throat> of renewal, uh, of redemption, of reconciliation. Uh, I think we're tempted to, you know, celebrate reconciliation without, um, without grappling with what are we reconciling and what's a part that needs to be reconciled. Uh, and I think we see both sides of that here, you know, that we, we celebrate redemption without recognizing, well, look, there is a need for redemption because we're not what we ought to be. We celebrate renewal without looking at this is why renewal is necessary. Uh, and I think 
when we learn to do both of those things. And I think that's really ought to be some, something of a rhythm that, you know, every week or if not every day, there's some sense of when I'm encountering some part of God's truth, there's, there's, there's both of those things that it's not, I'm not completely experiencing it. We are not completely experiencing it. I'm not completely exemplifying it. Uh, There's a gap there of what I'm called to be and who I really am am and and what the way I'm living, but there's a joy in that. That's part of moving me towards that. And the day will come when his kingdom will come, when his, his will will be done on earth uh, as it is in heaven. And that's part of the, that's part of the joy. Um, And so that's, that's really what I'm, what, what strikes me about this part of the story, what strikes me that transfers to my life. And I think to our life and our collective life, that do we give ourselves space? Do I give you space to grieve uh, when grieving is appropriate? Uh, do I then, you know, when grieving is appropriate for me, do I grieve in such a way that leads me towards the rejoicing because God can make this right and is making this right and has done the work of making this right. Uh, And rather than pretending everything is right, which is maybe what we're more prone to do, you know, everything's fine. Uh, You know, wrestling with the not fineness that the not rightness of things on the way to rejoicing that God is actually going to make this right. Uh, and going to fulfill the promise and going to do uh, what he promises to do. Uh, so I think that's all I have in the solo solo version of things. Um, you know, uh, I will sort of leave us there. And, you know, I'd love to hear from some of you if, if, if you're so inclined of, you know, what's your response to that is, what that looks like for you. Uh, and this is taking one episode from, the people of, of God a long time ago, but then, you know, looking for the continuity of this is, this is something that, that should, I've seen play out in my life, should play out on my life. And I should, you know, in a sense, rejoice that God is, is making things new while living in the fact that they're not new yet. Uh, and kind of being clear eyed and dependent and full of faith Uh, by God's hand because he's at work uh, in me. So I will leave you there. I hope that you have a great week and and I hope that you can celebrate what God is doing uh, as you can face your need of him clearly and our need of him clearly. Grace and peace. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church media productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.